0: Presents have all been opened, and the tree has probably been put away. For most of us, all the decorations are put away yet again for another year. We've just celebrated Christmas. We've gone through the holidays. Now what? Well, that's the question we hope to answer today. Here on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, and our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Join us. So it's after Christmas, what do we do? Well, that's the question we're answering here today on the broadcast. Welcome again to this edition of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. If you're joining us, we're in Luke chapter two today, and there's a lot to consider in the passage before us, Mary is the example. So make it a point to join us. Again, we're in Luke chapter two, Here now with today's broadcast from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, our teacher and pastor now, Steve Converse, with this edition of Graceful Truth. This morning I want to talk about the day after Christmas,
1: and it's found, uh, you can turn over to Luke um, chapter 2. So many times the day after Christmas is just as important as the day of Christmas, and I want to share with you this morning that what comes after Christmas is perhaps more important than even that day itself. It's it's important that we understand what happens after Christmas. Look, turn your hearts to Luke chapter 2, and I just want to read verse 17 to 20 for us this morning. Just have three points to share with you. Luke chapter 2, verse 17 to 20, it says, Now when they had seen him, the shepherds, that is, when they had seen him, the Christ child, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning. This child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. When Christmas is over and all the gifts are opened and the holidays pretty much done, the meals have been eaten, and you're just looking at a refrigerator full of leftovers. And after the new year, you start to put away your Christmas decorations and everything kind of settles back down to normal. The simple question is, what will you do with what you've been exposed to over the holidays, over Christmas? Three ways, basically, that we're to respond to Christmas. Three simple ways. Look at verse 19. It says there, But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. See, after Christmas, it's a good time to stop And just take a big, deep breath and reflect on what we have just seen and what we have heard. When you're exposed to the Christmas story, I mean, how many times have you heard it? I'm sure that most of you could come up here and recite it from memory, the Christmas story. You could tell the story, your version of it at least, from what you've understood, from what you've heard in messages and sermons. Most of us have rubbed up against that truth, the Christmas message, long enough, unfortunately, just to get calluses on our heart. So the real truth can't really penetrate deep into our daily life. We just kind of isolate it to that one day on the 25th and maybe Christmas Eve on the 25th. Someone once said, familiarity breeds contempt. And a lot of times we become so familiar with what we believe as Christians, and the Christmas story especially, even when it's read on Christmas Eve, but the first way to respond to the Christmas message is to try to make that message fresh in your heart, to at least stop long enough to soak it in, ponder it in a new way, look at it from a different angle. Reminded of a story of a chauffeur that had driven his client, a chemistry professor, to dozens, dozens of speaking engagements. And he heard the same canned speech over and over and over again from this professor. And they were on their way to another engagement. And the, the, the chauffeur just kind of just was tired of it. So he said this to the professor. He said, Professor, I believe I could give your speech myself. I know it so well. And the professor said, you know what? I'll bet you $50 you can't. And the bet was on. The chauffeur said, that's it. He stopped the car. He got out of the car. The two changed clothes. The professor put on the chauffeur's clothes, and the chauffeur put on the professor's clothes, and they went to their banquet. The chauffeur was all dressed in his professor's suit and everything, and he sat at the head table, and he was even introduced as Professor So-and-So. And lo and behold, the the, the chauffeur went up to the podium and he stood behind the podium and he gave the speech, the exact speech that he had heard so many times before. Just like a professor did. The crowd was just so impressed with the speech as they always are. They stood and gave him a standing ovation when he was finished. And the MC came up and thanked him for coming and speaking. And the MC said this, you know, we are so fortunate to have such a fine resource as this professor with us here tonight. And since we have a little extra time, I thought it might be nice to take some questions from the audience. And so the chauffeur stood there dressed like the professor and the first question was asked and the chauffeur stood there basically dumbfounded. Didn't even know what the question was about palms began to sweat. You could feel the, his brow begin to sweat. Finally, in a flash of wisdom, he looked at the person who asked the question and he said, you know what? That's about the dumbest question that I have ever heard. You know what? It is so dumb that I bet you my chauffeur can even answer that question. Come on up here. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a funny story, but sometimes we become so familiar with something like the chauffeur did with the professor's speech. Sometimes we become so familiar with the Christmas story and the Christmas traditions we lose what really is happening at this time. I mean, if you think about some of the Christmas traditions that maybe you have in your family or I, I mean some of them are just strange. Some of the things we do at Christmas time are just strange. I was driving around the other night, and all these lights or houses are lit up and i 'm wondering, do they do this in every country? I mean do, do people put lights on their house in every country at Christmas time? The greeting on one. Christmas card goes like this. Christmas is just plain weird. What other time of the year do you sit around staring at a dead tree in your living room and eat candy out of your socks? <laughs> See, there are some, some things about the whole Christmas story that also are a little odd when you stop and you think about it. The biblical Christmas story. I mean, think about it. A virgin teenager gets pregnant. That's a little odd. Then they're visited by angels. Angels. Then we're kind of thrown in with the the Caesar's tax, we're told about that, and then they had to go to Bethlehem, pregnant teenager, with her husband, about to have a baby, and they had no place to stay. I mean, I don't think our church would think too much of a father, of a husband, who took his pregnant wife on a trip, didn't even have the resources to provide a place for him to stay. And she's about ready to have a child, we would look down on that. And you have God... The very God born in a stable. I mean, it's almost too incredible to believe. And we've heard that story so many times. But have you ever really stopped to just think about it? Have you ever stopped to honestly think about it? What actually happened? Over in the book of Acts, there is a group of people who are called the Bereans. And I just want to read one verse about these folks, the Bereans, out of Acts 17, verse 11. It says this, These were more fair-minded than those in... Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. What's it mean to receive the word with readiness? Do you receive the Christmas story with readiness or it's, ah, you know what? I've heard it before. I can recite it in my sleep. Do you come on a Sunday morning with a spirit of readiness, with a heart of readiness, ready to receive the word of God? It says that's what they did. They received the word with all readiness. And it says that they searched the scriptures daily, daily to find out whether these things were so. Just because somebody stands behind a podium and says something doesn't mean necessarily that those things are true. Have you investigated the claims of Christ? Have you honestly sat down and gave it a fair chance, just like you would like any other information? Or have you become so familiar with it, you just kind of cast it off and not into the religious thing? Some people are that way. But it says, these folks searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Verse 12 says, therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks' prominent women as well as men. See, what led to their belief? The idea that they were just coming to church the idea that they were just purely religious no the idea that they were their hearts were ready to receive the word and that they not only that but they searched out the scriptures themselves I mean, I thank God we're in a church where people search the, the scriptures out for themselves. They don't take my word for it. I can be wrong. Let's, let's find the chapter and verse that backs up what we're saying. We need to learn what Mary did here. She pondered these things in her heart. We need to kind of let them ruminate and just chew on them like a cow chews on cut and just kind of digest these truths rather than just cast them off cast them aside. C.S. Lewis said this, we don't need to be told new ideas so much as we need to be reminded of old truths. That's good. See, this Christmas we can remember again the true meaning of Christmas, that God gave himself for us. Turn over to John chapter 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and he was with he was in the beginning with god and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made speaking of christ in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it there was a man sent from god whose name was john this man came for a witness to bear witness of The light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. We've seen that as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. But as many as received him, verse 12 says, To them he gave the right... To become children of God. You know, that's a right that has to be given by God and God alone. You, nor I, nor anyone else can give someone the right to become a child of God. I don't know about you, but that frees me up a little bit in my evangelism. That that allows me to go out and share with, with people who don't know Christ yet, share the gospel message, knowing that it doesn't depend on me to convert them. I don't have any power to convert anybody. God has to give them the right, it says, to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of who? It says God. And then it speaks of the incarnation. It says in verse 14, and the word... Christ became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, can you imagine if that said full of anger and judgment? What would we be celebrating this time of year? Not much. We'd probably be running for the hills. Isn't it a blessing that God sent his only begotten son and he filled them with grace and truth? The grace of God speaks of of just his willingness to reach out to us and, and take us where we we are to where he wants us to be without any kind of input on our part. We need to receive the gift. And he, even by his grace, allows us to do that. Salvation is of grace. It's not of works. Can you imagine if it was of works? Can you imagine if if God sent his son and he died on the cross and everything and said, well, that's not good enough. You still got to work for your salvation. The Bible says clearly that Christ was sacrificed once for all. He was the ultimate priest. He was the ultimate high priest. He, he was the, the sacrifice of all sacrifices. We don't need to go there again. And that, that speaks of the grace of God. But also it says he's not only full of grace, but he's full of truth. Truth. In other words, what God says is what God says. It's not something that can be finagled or you don't read between the lines. You don't take it and make it mean something else. It's very plain spoken, usually, the word of God. I mean, you may have to understand some background and, and maybe a little linguistics and stuff on some passages. But for the most part, the word of God is very plain. You don't need to be a rocket science to figure out what God is saying when he says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, I, and I'm thankful to God that that is truth, that he didn't give us a book of riddles. He didn't give us his word and say, okay, now it may mean this, it may mean that. It's up to you. You gotta go figure it out on your own. No, he gave us the Son of God who was full of grace and full of truth. And it says in verse 15 there, John bore witness of him and cried out to him, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. The grace and truth came through, it says, Jesus Christ, even though the law was given through Moses, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. So we need to stop and ponder these truths, especially this time of year. We got to get back to that meaning of Christmas. God gave himself for us. That's the message of Christmas. God is with us. He was born as one of us so that each of us might be born again into his family, the family of God. That baby born in Bethlehem almost 2,000 some years ago. Let's not forget that's the true message of Christmas. The baby whose birthday we celebrate at Christmas It's so easily hidden under the piles of tradition. Not that they're bad. We all have traditions. We all celebrate in different ways or cultural observances. But we should enter every Christmas season and we should enter exit every Christmas season asking the question, where's the baby? Where is Christ? He's not a baby anymore. He's the Lord of lords and King of kings. We need to ponder those things around this time of year. Secondly, I see here not only a need for pondering the truths of the Word of God, but look at what it says in verse 20. It says there, then the the shepherds returned and it says, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. We not only need to ponder these truths, but we also need understand that we're called to praise the God that we serve. See, these shepherds had witnessed the world's greatest birth announcement, and I'm sure you've read these words lots of times, but look at chapter 2, verse 10, and let's just see if we can't see something a little fresh here. It says there, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you Good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped In swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You notice the angels said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. It says there, a savior has been born to who? To you. This is a sign to you. You will find the baby. See, the angels' message to the shepherds was that Jesus is your Savior, your King your Christ, your gift from God, just for you. And sometimes, even as believers, we focus on the fact that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We understand that. That's a biblical truth. But sometimes we miss the fact that you could also read that verse, God so loved you, personalize it, that he gave you his only Son. See, the message of the angels here in this text is that Jesus is your gift this Christmas. The fact that Jesus came for you means that you need to respond to this gift. He just didn't give a general gift to everybody. He gave his incredible gift. That's what it says in Corinthians. It talks about the incredible gift of God that was given to us. And that we should be praising God for that gift. The fact that Jesus came for you means that you need to respond. What are you going to do with jesus how we respond personally to him can you imagine if somebody came over and gave you a gift and you just looked at him and walked away no response at all no thanks no nothing just walked away see and this is a very personal thing this isn't something you look at your neighbor to this is something you got to look at your own heart because god's gift it says is for you and you have to determine how you're going to respond to that gift i pray that you would respond through praising him. someone once said this we have become a generation of people who worship our work work at our play, and play at our worship. That's so true. I like this quote by Leonard Sweet. He says this, Our pews are occupied by people who want to be moved, but who don't want to move. (laughs) See, we crave the experience of worship, but we refuse to work toward that experience. We just think somehow it's going to fall out of the sky if we come to church. But worship is what we were created for. That's what God created us for, so that we could worship Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That is so true. In this after-Christmas season, we need to not only ponder those truths but stop and give time to worshiping and praising God for his incredible gift. The last thing I wanted to share this morning is not only the idea that we ponder the truth of God in our hearts, that we are called to praise the God who gives us this new birth through Christ, but we're also to proclaim it. We're also called to proclaim the truth of the the word of God. And in verses 17 and 18 of Luke there, you notice exactly what happened, what they did. It says, Now when they had seen him, the Christ child, what they do? They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. what they do? They proclaimed the truth of what they saw, of what they experienced. Third way we, we need to respond to the gift of Christ this Christmas is by proclaiming him. See, when we treasure Christ, it's something we do not do by keeping him to ourselves. That's not what we're called to do, but we're to make him known to the whole world. We're to take that message out to a lost and dying world and see lives transformed by god's grace once again i mean we're just the, the the waiters we just take the message we're not responsible to convert the soul but so many today aren't even willing to go to the kitchen and get the food and take it to the people to eat well what if they don't like it i'll be embarrassed i'm not that way just let them start i mean you know we can come up with all kinds of excuses not to do that, but see, we are called to do just that. Proclaim the message of Christ. It says in Titus chapter two, verse eleven, it says, "For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men." Do we believe that? Do we believe that the grace of God in the form of Christ that appeared that it brings salvation? It says in verse twelve, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then we're called to do this in verse thirteen, looking for the blessed hope. And glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that we might re- he, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own people. And then at the end, I like what it says: zealous for good works. Are we zealous for good works in our pop? proclamation of the gospel? Do we go out and share the gospel message that has transformed our lives by his grace? Nothing do of our own. It's by the grace of God that we're saved. Or do we just hold it to ourselves, white knuckle it and say, let somebody else do it. That's the pastor's job. That's the elder's job. That's whoever the evangelist's jobs. No, it's not. It's every believer in Christ, every follower of Christ. That's what he said. He said, when you follow me, there's certain expectations placed upon you. You can't get around that. We've seen that in the Gospel of Matthew. And one of those expectations is that we would go and leave our four walls of our church or our home and go out into sometimes a hostile world and proclaim the good news of Christ. In our very love for and of the church we fail to give the glad tidings to the world. In our zeal for the truth we forget to publish it. When shall we all learn that the good news needs not just to be cherished as it should be but it needs to be told. All people need to hear it. See, and just like the shepherds who went away that very first Christmas, the day after Christmas, to tell everyone who they met. There are so many who have yet to come and see Jesus the Christ, like the angels who interrupted the, the shepherd's sleep. See, the world today needs to be kind of awoken with the light of Christ to come awake from their sleep, and we need to point them to the one who truly does save. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 and 6 says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Verse 6 says this, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, for he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. See, that's the the essence of Christmas, that Christ came, God is with us, and we need to get that message out. Those of you who like history enjoy this last little illustration during the American Revolutionary War. There was a battle called the Battle of Blue Licks. It was fought on August 19, 1782 in a little stream there that bears the same name. The Battle of Blue Licks was one of the last battles of the American Revolutionary War. It was fought on a hill next to the little stream there, the Licking River they called it, in what is now Robertson County. And in this battle, a force of about 50 Canadian and American loyalists, along with about 300 American Indians, ambushed and routed 182 Kentucky militiamen. It was the worst defeat for the Kentucky militia during the whole frontier war. The irony of the whole thing is the battle should have never been fought because it was fought after the war was over. The battle occurred ten months after Lord Cornwallis's famous surrender at Yorktown, which basically effectively ended the war in the east. And there's not any quick way of communicating over the Appalachian Mountains back there, and no one knew the war was over. See, in the same sense, we have to come to understand that Christ won the. Vi- over evil at Calvary. That's what he did. All that is left for us to do is to tell people the good news. Hey, the war's over. There's a savior The important issue of Christmas is not so much that Jesus came, but why he came. That's the important issue. Do you understand there's no salvational merit in the birth of Christ whatsoever? That's not what saves us. Even the sinless way in which he lived doesn't have any redemptive force of its own. His example, as faultless as it was, that couldn't even rescue us from our sins. Even his teaching we see in the Gospel of Matthew, everybody's just blown away at the teaching of Christ. They're always awestruck. Boy, they can't believe this man teaches the way he does. He revealed some of the greatest truths that have ever been revealed. That alone can't save us. See, there is a price to be paid for our sins. Someone had to die. And you have to understand that only Jesus Christ, the one who was sent as a little baby that Christmas morning, whenever it was, he came, was born with the express purpose of giving his life voluntarily, freely. No one took his life, the Bible says, that he gave it up. And he gave it up because he loves us so much that he needed to sacrifice himself, the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus was going to die for the sins of the world, and he knew it. And he was willing to do it. That's the whole point of why Jesus came to earth. Earth. That's the whole point of why we can proclaim this life-giving message even today. It's the whole point why we can praise the God and Savior that we worship here this morning. But it starts with pondering those things in your heart. I pray that as we leave this season of the year that you'll continue, that that Christmas message will be freshened and you'll be able to ponder it and look at it from different angles throughout the year, not just this time of year.
0: If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, well, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650 366 9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to uh, visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650 650- 366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth.